you are listening to Uncommon Women on Red Podcast. How do you lose everything, struggle to pay bills, end up in jail and then start a successful business? Revathi Roy, who calls herself a taxi driver turned entrepreneur, has had a roller coaster life that's straight out of a Bollywood movie. In fact, it's being made into one. Hello and welcome to Uncommon Women. I am your host, Gayatri Rangachari Shah. and i bring you inspiring stories of women breaking barriers to make the world a better place jo society mein badlav la rahi hain over the years i've met and interviewed some extraordinary figures including world leaders ceos movie stars and activists many of them are women women who dared to dream who overcame challenges even those that were insurmountable yet who also made sure that whatever they did helped others Their life stories will uplift you, move you, and hopefully encourage you. I hope you leave the show thinking, if she can do it, so can I. My guest today, Revathi, had a passion for driving, which led her to create three businesses. In 2007, she founded Asia's first all-women taxi service, Forshe. Three years later, she founded Vira Cabs, and then in 2016, her latest baby, Hey Didi. India's first female-driven logistics company. From driving a taxi at Mumbai airport, working 14 to 16 hours a day, to today when she employs more than 700 women drivers across India, Revathi's life has been full of twists and turns, just like that of a rally car driver that she is. Her life, from riches to rags to revolution, makes us realize that even if you hit rock bottom, don't give up. And with that, let me welcome Revathi. Hi Revathi. Hi Gayatri, it's lovely to be on your show. It's wonderful to have you. You are the most can-do woman I know. <laughs> How sweet. Um Revathi, you once said that from rock bottom you can't go anywhere but up. And I believe that in your office too you have JK Rowling's um you know uh, that's exactly what JK Rowling said the Harry Potter author and you've got it in your office. You grew up in a very loving yeah. pa- pampered family. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, okay. So yes, I mean, you know, I can definitely say that I was born with a silver spoon. Little did my parents or me ever think that I would go through this kind of a roller coaster ride and and survive. You know, and not only survive but went to rocket kind of. Well, life destiny has its own plans for everybody, and this was mine. And as you rightly said, I do have a painting with a quote by J.K. Rowling. which she had uh, expressed at the uh, commencement ceremony at Harvard for a class of I don't know which one but uh, she said rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life and for JK Rowling it was an idea a story and a typewriter for me it was an idea of becoming the taxi driver and starting a cab company and a cab so there are some similarities so I do hope that I also become one of the You know, like JK Rowling, you know, make the riches very soon and uh, go like her. Uh, Revathi, you know, you are a graduate of Saint Xavier's College, very well educated, came from a comfortable uh, background and all of that. Tell us, how did it come to be that you ended up driving a taxi to make ends meet? Tell us, you know, a little bit about your life. Driving has been my passion like crazy, right? From the time I think I was born, I saw my dad drive. and he used to drop me to school and then you know the drivers to drop me to school so my perpetual 
story in life was oh god they have the power in their hand and you know that steering to me was not a steering that steering to me was the freedom to be able to navigate yourself anywhere you want being in the driver's seat i mean as a driver anybody who's sitting with me could be my mom dad you anybody i can just take you where i want you can't do anything about it so it was really in this driving really fascinated me i mean tremendously i was like wow and rightly uh, like, so i you know i i just started to love driving so i think it was kind of so ingrained in me that i very soon started taking part in car rally i started participating in car rally that and i've done about as rally of course i mean you know i started participating and i started winning them too and that became like a you know addiction it was a good addiction to have you know that's how my passion just overtook everything in fact you won um, you win you've won 80 out of 85 car rallies that you've participated 85. in right yes yes that's a remarkable achievement yes, i have won 80 out of 85 car rallies and it was amazing that you know i used to go for all women rallies i used to go for anything anything that had driving as its core i was there you know and those days uh, like you know i'm talking of four decades ago five yeah four decades ago I'm 60 years now, and I started driving at the age of 18. So I've been driving for 42 years, and four decades ago, even women drivers, drivers as such, even driving their own vehicles was not so common. That's right. But my dad, yeah, but my dad was very keen that I, you know, learn driving very soon, and I learned. And then I'm also a teetotaler. I don't drink and smoke, so I was a perfect bakra for all my for my friends who were getting drunk to drop them back home. And I, to date, I still do it. it was like a perfect jigsaw puzzle fitting into every party you know like you have your bartender it was good to have a driver you know it was as <laughs> it was really as good as that you know it was good to have me around right so, you know, i became a in i almost became a must have person at parties so that nobody had to drive back uh, so along with the list of things that you needed to host a party this revati roy was also part of that She was always a designated you know, driver. Yeah, I was not. I was part of the to-do list for parties. It was not that you know I was a great company or anything. It was just that you know, chalo bartender mangana hai, ye mangana hai, whiskey mangani hai, daru mangana hai. Uske saath ek driver bhi manga. So it was like that. So and I quite enjoyed it because I really love to drive. So now tell us. Uh, so you, uh, you know, so then you you met your husband in college and you had a romance and you got married and you had three children. but unfortunately yeah. he fell ill at a young age and um, yeah. and went into a coma and you had to deal with that so now tell us a little yeah. bit about that part of your life when i was in college uh, i started dating my husband of course and uh, uh, we decided to get married now before i got married to him much before i, I had a 7 year romance during my courtship period then during my dating days we discovered that my husband had diabetes my father quickly went to the doctor and he said that you know this boy has diabetes and my daughter insists on getting married to him so my family doctor actually told my dad that she should not get married to him because he said he is going to have huge complications in health and he had said that you know my family doctor had said that and uh, but love is blind my father was very logical and very sensible so he just told the doctor that there is no way that i can do anything about it she is going to marry so you know i can't do anything about it but he also posed a question to my that family doctor he said what if she had discovered this 
one day after her marriage murshi had left him hmm so the debate was over right you know that i could go ahead and get married but everything as as you know as everybody knows comes with its own complications but i always thought that love would conquer it all hmm. you know we are so immature at that age that you never really think of the reality or the practicality it was all about being in love it was all about you know very filmy dialogues and you know that um, you know you will overcome it right and i come from a very very like i should say a very healthy family background till the age of 70 75 my father didn't see any sickness at all so right. i've never even seen fever and stuff you know i've not even seen that it's just light fever here and there i've not seen anything of this so for me it was always that he's going to be okay you know diabetes is nothing i didn't know what diabetes was right today today we look on google today we look find out everything but i was not like that i didn't know anyway i decided to get married then he uh, had multiple problems you know in 1994 he had a paralytic attack uh, luckily there was no residual effect of the paralytic attack so he was fine and then he got a massive heart attack in 2000 so 2000 and uh, he recovered from that also he had a bypass but what happened after that was that he slipped into a coma in 2004 hmm. in 2004 he got a massive cardiac arrest he had just come back from delhi and he got a massive cardiac arrest and he slipped into a coma and that was the day that i was completely devastated you know i didn't know what was happening because we i thought coma again was something that he'll come out of it so two and a half years later he lost it now i was in huge debt huge debt i borrowed money that's the reason that i you know went to jail i couldn't return money back and all of that and then in 2007 when i lost him in on january 29th of 2007 i realized that you know i what do i do now to bring up the children so the only and you had you had, had three had boys you had three boys right so and I they were young boys yeah my children were yeah they were small they were you know not at this age that they are now so it was difficult to you know today's age is very different they are independent but um, at that point of time it was extremely difficult and I decided the only skill I had was I knew how to drive. I just knew how to drive. So but before we get to that uh, Revathi I wanted to ask you you know you had these you you were very I must say that it's very uh, courageous and laudable of you because you really took on the burden of your husband's care you brought him home you had mounting medical bills and the medicines and all of that you had to uh, you know sort of give him Uh, and you didn't even know how to operate uh, your joint bank accounts i think is uh, you know you there's a so and then so, you and you borrowed yeah. this money and uh, you ended up uh, in jail for 3 months it must you know i know it's a painful period of your life but if you could share with us you know what what happened at that time and what you experienced so the, when you mentioned about the uh, you know joint bank account i'd like to really mention this on the show that you know I was educated I'm a masters in economics from Bombay University and from Xavier as a graduate and then from since from Bombay University a post graduate now and that to in economics considering that you know one would think I'm damn smart and I always believed I was but it it just broke the you know myth that I was very smart because the day he died and that was the, the, the day he went into a coma was devastating enough anyway I went to the bank to draw money the next day and I realized that we didn't have an either or account it was a joint account which needed both signatures so in spite of having some money in the account I could not draw a rupee from there and I remember going to court 
better verdict on that to say that he's in the coma and I need to do this. But just I think about a year ago now the High Court has given a verdict saying that if the spouse is in this kind of a state, then the, the living spouse can get a get get the bank account opening. But I didn't get it that time. So I borrowed money for, of course, medical stuff and all that. And people are not going to just give you money because you need it. So things did go wrong. And uh, I got arrested and I was in behind bars. I was, there were five cases filed against me. And uh, yeah, it was bad. I mean, you know, with children, I think you, if you read the book, you will read uh, Dr. Swati Loda has mentioned in that, saying that in, in my case, it was the children was, were in a situation where they had a father who could not talk and they had a mother who would not talk. So it was extremely sad. I mean, you know, today if I see my children that they are normal human beings, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. They're not just normal human beings, but I think they're lovely human beings. Mm. They, they saw so much of me, you know, they saw so much of what I went through. Good, bad, ugly. The point is that if the parent is going through something and if the children stand by you and support you for, you know, in whatever way, whichever they can, they could at that point of time, because that time it was not financially possible to support me in any way when they were small. But I even morally, you know, because the entire society, the people who I knew, a lot of people who I knew, who considered themselves friends, had completely socially ostracized me. Going to jail and coming out is not something which anybody is going to love to have as a friend. So I think it's it's not okay, you know, it's not okay by society, it's not okay by people to ostracize people like that. You don't even know what has gone wrong. Right. I mean, how can you make a judgment? And how can you make a judgment? And of course, when you went to jail, you found uh, something, you, you saw these women uh, who were in a terrible state. And, you know, yeah. we we on the outside, we don't even give it, uh, we don't even think about these things, right? We don't think about what the conditions might be yeah. or why someone might be in jail. But you experienced yeah. this firsthand. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because I know how important it is, which is why you've done the kind of yeah. businesses you've done today. So tell us about well, what okay. happened, what, you know, who you met in jail. So, you know, there are barracks in jail. There are different barracks in jail. And you go to different, you get you get put into whatever, whichever barrack that you are. I was in a barrack where I had seen a lot of, uh, there were a lot of uh, murder cases, you know, people over there. Then there were uh, drugs. There was somebody uh, who was from the, there was a Ghatkopar hooch tragedy when there was a lot of people had died and these women were selling the hooch, you know, they were selling booze. God knows whether they were right, wrong, whether, you know, they were ultimately convicted, I have no idea about that. But the point is, they didn't even know how to read and write. Mm. You know, so I, in my 45 days there, I became the person to come to, to write letters to their family. And when I used to sit and write those letters to the family, I used to realize, oh my God, what are they dealing with? You know, I knew that someday I would go out. Someday I will get bail and I will be out. And I'm, I was very fortunate that when I, I knew that when I go out, I knew that I had food on the table. I knew I have a house. You know, I knew all of that. But when I used to see them, I used to feel, oh my God, what did people do? They've been caught selling drugs. They've been caught selling booze. They've been caught murdered. I don't know whether they've murdered anybody. Who knows? What is it? But, um, so I used to keep crying, you know, in the jail. I didn't know what was happening. I knew my children were outside. My husband was in a coma. There was so much that was going wrong. And uh, one fine day, I just, uh, and a lot of these women had already got bail. 
whether just for three thousand rupees, five thousand rupees, but there was nobody to pay that three thousand, five thousand rupees, so they're sitting and rotting in jail. So there's nothing that was there for them. And when once I remember, it was like this too. You know, it kind of enlightens you. I was what, talking to somebody, and suddenly this girl was crying, and you know, she was saying, "I don't know what will happen. Whether I'll ever go out and prostitute." She was a she was caught for prostitution, and. Uh, I wonder whether the guy ever gets caught for prostitution, for going visiting a prostitute. Actually, you know, but the woman was rotting there in jail. Right. And she and she was saying to me that you know, um, if I knew something that I could do and earn a living, I wouldn't have done this. Right. This is what she told me. And I just said to myself, I said, Oh my God! I said I have such a great skill. I said I know how to drive. And I said maybe you know I can just. Train these girls to do something like that. I can teach them driving. I can actually teach them driving because I think I'm the best driver in the world. <laughs> and uh, and you know, Gayatri, I stopped crying that day. And I said to myself, I will step out one day, and I'm going to do something so dramatic that the world is going to see. I'm going to make try and make every woman skilled, and I want to make every woman skilled, and then stand on their own feet financially. So that they never have to worry about somebody else, you know, um, giving them money, giving them whatever. They will become financially independent. So I think the germ of what I really did, or I'm doing right now, comes from the seeing those women who never, never had anything, you know, in life, and were doing their prostitution, drug peddling, what practices they were doing. Whatever they were um, doing to make uh, to to provide for their families. Absolutely, and I think uh, it it. it uh, I mean, I'm not. I should not say that I'm happy going to jail, but uh, yeah. But I think it's it kind of gave my life uh, uh, a character, a fabric, which uh, I think is very rich. It's a very rich fabric that I live my life with today. ஒரு When you became a widow, your mother-in-law said something very powerful to you, and uh, tell us about that because there are many women in this country who lose their partners, and uh, there is a stigma in Indian society about being a widow. And I'd like you to share this lady's, your mother-in-law's wisdom with us. Yeah, you know my mother-in-law is no more, but um, she was a great. Uh, I think she did a lot for me. So when when my husband died on 29th of January, because in Bengal there is a lot of we belong to a Tripura, a very remote place in Tripura and Agartala, we are from there. And um, there's a physical change in the person when you become a widow. You start wearing white clothes and all that. And <coughs> so so did I. And um, I had shut the room. I was listening to some horrible bhajans, and you know the room used to be dark and. the same in fact that that one bhajan which i used to play that time i just cannot listen to it now meaning you know if it's if it starts playing somewhere i shut my ears or i shut the music 
I can't use it. It traumatizes me a lot. And uh, so on the fourth or fifth day, I didn't want to really meet anybody. So there was this friend of mine who literally barged in, you know, and he said, I need to see you. And he came in and he gave me a book on Swami Vivekananda. So uh, in that book, it's the autobiography of Swami Vivekananda. So that book, you know, there is a graphic representation of Swami Vivekananda who is uh, sitting under a tree. And there's a young blind boy sitting in front of him. The young blind boy asks Swamiji, he says, Swamiji, is there anything worse than losing your eyesight? And Swamiji turns down to him and says, he says, yes, my son, losing your vision is worse than losing your eyesight. You know, it says, something hit me. And I said, oh my God. I said, it's like, you know, what is this? So profound. And then I decided that, you know, I shut the book. And I said, I must step out. I need to step out. But I lived in a joint family. So I said, I have to take my mother-in-law's permission. So I called my mother-in-law and I told her, I said, look, I have to go. You please allow me to go because if you don't, then I don't know what I'm going to do. And she just held my hand and she said, yes, you must go. I was shocked, you know. And then she said that, you know, the reason, she said, you go. But there are two conditions. One condition is that you must change back into colored clothes. I was so shocked, you know, a woman had just lost her son. And uh, I said, okay. And then she said, you know why I want you to change your clothes? Because I do not want my grandchildren to get up every day and in the morning look at you in white clothes and remember that they don't have a father. Mm. And I was stunned, you know. I said, look at this lady. She has never gone to school. She has had no technical education. But if this is not education, if this is not wisdom, and that wisdom does not need to come from sitting in a classroom, then what is? Right. You know, I I really can't figure what is. I mean, you know, so schools, classrooms, books. I don't know, you know, whether that is really contributing. And I can show you a hundred plus more shallow people who have the best of degrees in their hands. They would not have been able to see something, say something like that. So I think what she said to me was huge. And so I think she really, that that moment in the jail and then this together made me like invincible. I said, no one can shatter me. There is no way. And so Revati, you had these mounting bills and then you came upon this idea and in fact, you went to Mumbai airport and you drove to a taxi. I mean, that's also quite remarkable. Tell us about how you came upon this idea and, uh, you know, what, what happened after that? Yeah, so it was just, you know, one of those incidents when I was dropping my some drunken friends home that they were kind of <laughs> misbehaving and telling me how to drive. So I got damn irritated and I just said to them, I'm going to start a cab service for women. So it just started that way. And then when I decided that, yeah, I must go and do this, I decided to go to Bombay Airport and uh, Mumbai Airport and JVK uh, was running it. And I went and told them that I said, you know, women grab service. Let's give all the women passengers a great service at Mumbai Airport. Nobody's ever done it before. And I got permission like in 48 hours. <laughs> I just got a slot there, which today is the most expensive slot that anybody could ever get. And uh, I took a tourist cab taxi from one of my friends. And landed up at the airport with some nice, lovely uniform. And uh, I had two other girls who decided to join me as uh, drivers. And we looked so beautiful, all of us, that, you know, we were like round hostesses, lovely pink uniform, black trousers, 
pink lipstick and you know stuff like that and we just started you know and i started the first so, so i became a driver and i said if i don't do it in any case i had no job or nothing that time so i would have only earned money so i started earning money and it was so amazing it was so amazing because i think that probably those 10 months were the best times of my life and that was in 2007 yes on we started on march 8 2007 and uh, so from that three you were initially three drivers including you yeah. and then you yeah. and then what happened you grew the business you got more drivers yes, i grew the business i also realized that it's first of all there were two challenges there are no women drivers drivers as such there were no women drivers drivers as such that time because uh, as it is women were not driving you know as it is there were no women drivers who were driving their own cars also hardly any people population very less percentage wise and commercial women drivers zero so who would want to become a cab driver you know i am a masters in economics why would i want to become a cab driver because we don't respect drivers as much as they are respected in you know foreign countries and all that but i also realized that getting cab drivers is not is impossible i mean you know today so for example let me give you an example if uber and ola want to start a normal cab service they wanted to start what did they do they just acquired normal cab taxi drivers yeah black and yellow but did i have that option no there are no women drivers no commercial drivers so whatever right. i wanted to do had to be done from, from scratch. scratch and also i had to identify who women who may want to become drivers first of all so who wants to become drivers so i realized that at the back end i needed to start a motor training school hmm So I actually started the motor training school, and then I started going to all these communities, busties where people you lived, you know, where the taxi drivers were living. And I used to go there, take a mic in my hand, actually take a mic like you know, and stand there and shout and make pro- like propaganda, saying that you know we are going to start this thing and please come and join. I I stood on the top of cars and done this also. It's so crazy. All and, that thing I have done. And what did people make of you? What did they think of you in the busti when you did that? <laughs> It's not I was mad. <laughs> they just thought that some mad woman was coming and doing all this. But I started getting a lot of inquiries. People started coming there, and you know, so we started doing whatever. And and people started joining. Then I got a license for a motor training school, so I became a motor training school because I didn't even know that you need to have a, you need to actually get a license to become a motor training school. I didn't even know that. And also for that you need to have two cars. For that you need to have some capital. For that you need to have an office. All that I didn't know, but slowly, slowly, somehow we did it. You know, bag, borrow, steal type. <laughs> and uh, and I started getting girls to come and join. And then I got my first investment into my company because I was speaking somewhere. Then I started getting a lot of people started calling me to speak because once we launched on the eighth of March, we became a global phenomenon, and we were covered like across the world. If you see. Um, anything if you find on Google 2007, we've been covered by every country, be it Russia, Japan, Korea, you name it. You know, America. Everywhere saying that India in India somebody has done this. Right. So, so, so that became a very big encouragement for me that you know, and also much as you would like to think that there is you know nothing, the media doesn't play a role or that uh, it doesn't boost your energy. All these articles really boosted my energy. You know, right. I felt, yeah, you know, it's something which I'm doing right, and somebody's acknowledging, and this may become very good. 
So we are quite high on the, all those media reports, actually. <laughs> so, uh, and then, yeah, in fact, so. um, then in fact, you ended up selling Forche, and um, yeah. and then you also so, so did yes. an, a second venture, which was a similar yes. concept, and then uh, yes. and then decided not to do that for uh, much longer. And then in two th- four years ago, you founded Hey Didi. Now tell us about Hey yeah. Didi. Because uh, I see the Hey Didi vans uh, driving around Bombay now. It's quite exciting. Yeah. I sold my company to ILNFS that time. My Porsche I sold to ILNFS. Then with Veerakab, my friend, a friend of mine and me, my partner did, did Veerakab very well. We had full control of it. And in fact, we did a lot of good business. We trained a lot of girls in that. We, we did well. And uh, then I realized that, you know, with Uber and Ola coming in, there was absolutely zero possibility of us doing a price war with them. It's not possible. Right. They literally come to lose money and we cannot do that. So, no, and that kind of deep pocket. When, sorry, when, when you say lose money, you mean that they spent a lot of money to get their drivers, right? You were, oh, so explain every that. Every ride, hmm. every ride, they, even now they lose money. Where okay. are they making that? Okay. It's okay. not a, it's not a, I mean, if you see the losses of Uber or Ola, it's none of my business to comment on it. But the point is, it's not a money-making business. At the end of 10 years, 15 years, maybe they will. Because somebody will merge into something more. Right now, it's more and more funding, which is happening, which everybody knows. Most companies, in fact, are losing money. The balance sheets are not good. But that is okay with them, the global company. If you do it with, if I had done it, my shareholders would have asked me, why are you losing money? Right. Today, everybody wants to know. Even if we make a, you know, 10 lakh loss somewhere, people are asking, you know, why you made the loss. Right. But they are making so much losses. So, that's something which is a business phenomenon, which I don't think we as individual entrepreneurs can really fight that out. Right. And also, the price that they were offering for a ride from point A to point B, literally ours was double. Right. So, there was no way that we could fight them. So, then I realized that I was reading a report, which... Uh, said that, you know, logistics is going to be the next big thing by 2020. That's what they said. And rightly so. Imagine, somebody actually wrote that in the report. That 2020 will logistics will be the next big thing. And now, in fact, I'm seeing that with COVID and post-COVID times, logistics is the only industry which has exponentially grown. And will you explain to us what you mean by logistics? You mean the delivery? <laughs> yes. We are talking of B2B business of last mile delivery, B2C, B2C business or B2B2C which is warehouse to hub to customer. So all of these businesses which are parcel delivery. I'm talking to logistics, which is parcel delivery, which could be within the city, which could be intercity, which could be intracity, which could be intrastate, which could be anything. But fundamentally, you're, you're doing goods from one place to the other. It could be a size of a pin or it could be a size of a, you know, an entire vehicle or container. Everything is logistics. Right. All of them is logistics. Right. So we realized that logistics is going to be the really big thing. And I also realized that keeping my ethos of my company and keeping the base of my company that I have uh, worked on, which was empowering women, which was making them financially stable and which was empowering them with the skill. I just realized that last mile delivery on two wheelers and four wheelers can actually become phenomenally big. So that's how we launched Hey Didi. And Hey Didi is Didi's sister. Didi, Didi. like Didi, Didi. yeah. Yeah. But you spell it D-E-D-E. Because I didn't get D-I-D-I. Ah, okay. I didn't get it because that exists with Jack Ma. Okay. So I didn't get it. (laughs) So I never got it. So so we decided to call it Didi. And uh, 
So I so so we thought two wheelers and four wheelers would be a great thing, and there were no women. There were no women doing that, and uh, we got a huge response from e-com companies. They were like so delighted to see girls. And somebody wrote an article about us, and then it was like bingo, you know. It was everybody started coming to us, asking us for girls. And I already had a pool, which was doing, you know, four-wheeler taxis. So from your came, from your earlier businesses. Yeah, from my earlier businesses. So we started mobilizing, and of course, nothing is easy with women. Nothing. So <laughs> uh, I think whether you're a Michelle Obama, whether you're a Nita Ambani, whether you're Revati Roy, whether you're my maid servant, my helper. we all have to worry about when you leave the house and you are out of the house we all have to worry about what is my child going to eat when i come back when he comes back from school right it is a common phenomenon so some of them have it easy with a lot of helpers at home but the people i deal with are all from the lower end of the pyramid it's like the lowest end of the pyramid for whom help is not possible and we are also talking about homes where they live in 8 by 8 homes and they may not even have a gas So we are talking of a stove. We're talking of so many real problems. Right. We're talking of we're talking of problems like, um, pani char baje aata hai. You know, the uh, municipality says water at four o'clock. Now, can she leave her work at four o'clock and go and fill water? So she would automatically tell me that no, I can't because I have to get back by four o'clock. So we started asking why. So she said, "Nee pani aata." Hmm. So then we have to start teaching her that look if you start earning money, tell your neighbor that you will give them three hundred rupees to just fill water for you because they are already standing in that line. Right. So they will take your bucket also and fill it up. So it's a lot of education, lot of mentoring, lot of you know, um, it kind of drains you to think that you know the kind of problems they face. So tell us, Rebati, your your the profile of your hey DD driver is somebody who is most likely living in a slum. Is oh, that yeah. all of them are living? And then yeah. and you have uh, how? Tell us, you know, a little bit about uh, how many women you've trained, and tell us how the program works. Uh, you know how so do? I have trained, yeah, I have trained more than two two and a half thousand girls. So the program works. That's in Mumbai and uh, Pune, and you know uh, we are in about seven cities now. But um, seven so cities in, in Maharashtra or across India? No, no, across India. Okay. So we are in a couple of states. We are in Karnataka. We are in Madhya Pradesh. We are in Jamshedpur, Ranchi. We are in a lot of these very lovely places, and where women workforce participation literally was zero. You know, but we in this area it was completely zero. But we managed to get them out. Right. So the program is that it works in two ways. There are there are girls who come to us. We have a team which is a called the mobilization team, which actually reaches out to the girls in their communities. They go there, they go there, and they start talking to the communities and offer this job and you know tell them that you can get skilled. So my girls can so they have come with two options. One is that they are um, they can have the skill already of the two of they know how to ride the two wheeler. Or they don't know at all. So if they don't know, then we take them through a 45-day program where they we we teach them how to drive, how to learn to ride, and then we you know send them on jobs and stuff like that, and then we employ them. If there are girls who come to us who already know how to ride, we do a one-week training with them because we need to show them technology and stuff like that, and then they immediately get onto a job. And all my girls are earning north of fifteen thousand rupees now. Each wow. one. 
and in fact it is i'm very heartening to talk about this that in the covid times last month in fact three of my girls have earned uh, earned 44000 each mm. 44000 rupees that's impressive that's wonderful so yes. so hey, it that just uh, makes me so happy you know so actually in the pandemic the demand for your services must be quite high because everybody is now buying things online and wanting to have things delivered to them at home so have yeah, you yeah we went we went we went completely exponential on during covid times in fact i think one of the only businesses which grew in covid times of course we worked at a much lesser capacity because no one could come out but very few people could come out right but whoever came out did great business. Right, and all the great money. And your clients, uh, Revati, they are what the big e-commerce companies. Yeah, who like yeah. what, yeah. like Amazon and Flipkart, who who all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are all. Then we have we do also do work for Nature's Basket. Then we do well, some pizza companies. We also do Swiggy, Scootsy. We do all of them as well. Right. right. Now, one thing you said, you know, that you got financing for your for Hey Didi. and of course uh, you have the uh, experience of of launching three successful businesses would you say that it's hard for a woman to get financing investment for her company when she wants to start a business i don't know why people say this but i don't think money sees gender you know i think it's quite agnostic actually if you go with a good project plan somebody who's putting in their money needs to see how they will benefit so on the other hand it's So if you, if somebody thinks that I'm a woman, so I should get funded, that is also wrong. That's not right. You have to be prepared with your project plan. You have to show. See, there are biological problems for a young girl who is going in for funding, for example. The the investor also knows that she may become. She go may go for motherhood. She may go for. So they need to know an alternative plan. That if she goes for motherhood, then what is her plan? Right. And that's fair. That's really fair. But I didn't have those kind of problems because I started very late. I had finished with motherhood. So if I were to say that because I was a woman, somebody didn't fund me, I think I would be lying. Right. That so I may have not got funded earlier because I didn't show potential. Just having an idea and then going to people and saying, "Oh, I have a great idea," makes no sense. Right. You have to be able to implement what you're saying. You have to be able to execute what you're saying. There are thousands of ideas which come out every day, but the person who does not execute it well is done and over with. The best idea can fall completely down if you do not know how to execute. Right. So, so I think saying that women ha- have it hard, I am not in agreement personally. All right. But I think a lot of women do not agree with me on that. <laughs> but yeah, but we can always have a disagreement. So, so. If you were mentoring someone today, what advice would you huh. give them? I would say that uh, you know one you need to get yourself clear in your mind about what is it that you want to do you know so when i speak at colleges sometimes i ask them what do you want to do what do you want to you know what is it that you have in mind just to find out you know and like i remember a couple of children coming and telling me i want to make money but making money is an offshoot right of what you really want to do making you are not rbi you're not you're not a mint you're not going and you know printing money that's not your job you have to do something where you learn money you know so that is something which so i keep telling these children that making money is the outcome you say what you want to do so 
I think you have to be very clear in your mind and trust me it is not possible to be clear also that's equally true the minute you get an idea you are not you don't know anything it's like a bulb it has just come up it's there but around that what else it's something which you have to really think of so it's great to have a mentor it's great to have read up it's great to understand take help i made this big mistake as an entrepreneur i think a lot of entrepreneurs make this mistake of not uh, taking help because a lot of entrepreneurs think that they know it all i mean it's a syndrome again it's a entrepreneurship syndrome oh i know it all i don't need to take help i made that mistake too but uh, i've learned i learned the hard way so i think if you have help take it you know and and i think you should not stop dreaming because you know i think it's only when you dream that you will be able to you may be able to see something on the screen which is unimaginable that i can do it so i think it, and trust me i mean i feel that if i could really do what i've done i really think anybody can i don't understand how and why it should not happen because i was a gone case i mean you know people had written me off everybody had written me off but uh, i i it was so bad that i remember um very close friends i mean you know they stopped taking my calls um i was never invited to any of their dinners parties for the very 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 long time very long time it's only later that i started pick the very positive articles about me in the papers and i was on the cover of forbes uh, i was in the forbes that's very recent of course by then people had started communicating with me the same people but that's another you know another area of our society where if you are deep down gone you know nobody is your chips are down nobody is going to come to your help so i don't think i can ever in my lifetime become judgmental about anybody i will never do that you know you raise a very good point especially with everything that's happening here in um, india with you know uh, mental health and all of that um mm-hmm. i want to how did you forgive those people whom you'd known for such a long time your social circle you you know talked about being ostracized and then when you fell upon these hard times you found that there was you know all these people turned their backs on you how do you how do you overcome that uh, revati how do you how come you you're always smiling you're not bitter how how is that how how have you made that happen i uh, right from childhood i think i have a, i've been blessed by god with a very very great temperament and uh, truly so i really have a great temperament i don't i'm not petty you know i can't get petty i mean i just feel that all of them did what they did behave the way they did their actions were what they thought was right at that point of time so they did it you know if they thought it was wrong they wouldn't have that right and as far as and as far as i am concerned there is no question of forgiving anybody else. when you know who are you it's okay i mean everybody thought i did wrong but the court decided i haven't so they were no judges to judge me but they judged so i don't think a human being has a right to judge anybody else you don't know what they're going through right i mean i may have i and you know what you said is very right i have been smiling throughout and the the good part is that i think somewhere deep down that is what kept me good my blood pressure 
and my you know on my health condition right through my time in jail and the police lockups and all that was picture perfect it never swayed it never swayed and i think it is just you know that i have to be very very grateful for that i may never have come out alive something may have happened to me and you know you realize so much guys see in that that when a food a, a plate is kept in front of you that aluminium plate is kept in front of you in the jail you better eat that's your survival mm. and you know what kind of food you get in jail my god i cannot waste food now i have to appreciate every little thing i eat because i know what i have eaten there mm. i know what i have eaten there it is very very difficult to go through what i have gone through those three months and i only have to thank the almighty that i have come out and so i feel that this was my second chance and i had to make it known to people that you can survive even all of this you can survive you can make it big you can money is not it's very important i agree to survive but i may not have made as much money as i a lot of other people in the businesses that they had been in i could have made i think a lot of money but maybe i am not that smart but i think what i have achieved is the immense goodwill of all these girls today who stand on their feet and that is unparalleled it is priceless no one can take that away from me no one um that's 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 really um inspiring rebuti those words and i think we'll all keep them with us um i want to end by asking you you once said you wanted amazon to buy you out for 500 million us dollars is that <laughs> and then uh, you know you sp- spoke about swami vivekananda who's talked about not losing your vision what is your vision my vision is to have 100000 girls on the road who are financially independent and to me to hedi I want to actually see all of them, you know, earn that kind of money, have a skill, and never, never be able to want to rather ask for money from somebody. I mean, I just want to see that. I, you know, I don't have. This is my mission, vision, everything. I don't have any other dreams. I mean, it's not like children are grown up, so they have their own dreams, and I'm there to support them. But other than that, I don't think individually. I, I can't think of, you know. i want a 10 bedroom house type i don't know that never comes it's not there you know i just can't think of that like i want to have a beach house i want to have like you know 100 tolas of gold i don't know what i'll do with it if i have it also so i'd rather that i make a lot of money and i uh, be able to you know inspire more people maybe i should set up something which a lot of women can come and learn from me I want to do that. Right. I really want to do that. And 100,000 women drivers providing last In mile logistics. Yeah. In five years, we'll change the way India delivers. That's my tagline. And we will change the way India delivers. And more power to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Very. Thank, thank you, you for, for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story. Very inspiring, and uh, I certainly feel very inspired. I'm sure our listeners do too. Thank you. Thank. Thank you so much. Thank you. You were listening to Uncommon Women on Red Podcast. 